Uh, if you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, boy, I'm just so thrilled to see new faces almost every Sunday. And I'm honestly, I'm super thrilled that some of you come back. That's really cool. So uh, maybe you need counseling or something like that. But I'm just so glad that you're here. And if, if you're just checking this out online, that's we, we hope that uh, what we do here through uh, the entire ministry here, not just what happens here in, in this room on Sunday morning, that it helps you take your next step toward God. And, uh, you know, on that note, you know, I would say, believe it or not, people come to me for counseling every once in a while, and they have a question. And, and often, often the question is, you know, what should I do, right? It's like, what should I do about, and usually they're facing a situation, you know, I'm in debt. I'm having a relational struggle. I'm, there's conflict in my family. Um, there's, I'm, I'm about to get a divorce. What should I do? And less often, it's, it's about an opportunity. What should I do, Britt? Um, you know, I, I don't know what college to go to. I'm, I'm thinking about getting married. You know, there's all these opportunities in front of me. You know, what should I do? These are the questions that, that I get asked, and often the the answer isn't obvious. I mean, it's not just plug-and-play verse. Oh, you know, I didn't know that verse, so thank you very much, Britt, for sharing that with me. Uh, they're, they're more complicated than that. And, you know, it's like, you know, what, what's, what's the right thing for me to do? What's, what's the smart thing? What's the best thing that I could do? And if you've ever had questions like that in your life, what we're going to talk about today I think is really going to help you. We're, uh, a few weeks ago, we started a series called I Promise, where we're just reflecting upon a few of the promises that God makes to those who will rely on him. And Peter told us that God has given us those promises, the great and marvelous promises, the way Peter puts it, um, so, that, so that his nature can become part of us, so that those of us who are pursuing Christ, those promises are there for us to stand on and live by so that we can become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And we've said that God's promises are where human need and God's character intersect. We have, living life, we have a need for God's word and what God has to say about things. And God's character is on the line when we intersect that and apply it in our lives. It's almost like for virtually every problem we face, there's a promise. So if you have a decision to make today or tomorrow, next month, or you're contemplating uh, some type of change or career or whatever, and you're looking to make the very best dis decision for you, what we're going to talk about today is exactly for you. This message is for you. And this promise is for you. The promise we're going to look at today is when God says to us, I will help you make wise decisions. I will help you make wise decisions. James tells us about that in James 1, verse 5, when he says, if you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, is that you? You want to know what God wants you to do? Ask him. And he will gladly tell you, and I love this part, he will not resent your asking. You ever feel like that? Like, God, I'm just asking again. Still looking for the same answer. It's me again. He does not resent that. In fact, James doubles down on this promise. Verse 6, but when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. It's like James says, don't even think God's not going to answer you. 
But if you've lived a while as a Christian, you know that there's a way of looking at that promise that's overly simplistic. I mean, is, for, I, sometimes I've heard people talk about it in a way that it feels like, you know, uh, God's like a magic genie, and, and I can just rub the uh, lantern with my prayer, and then God appears and he magically answers. Just voila, there it is. Or shazam, I guess would be a better word to use there. Or, um, you know, it's like uh, recently my wife and I were painting a room in the house and we had out all these paint chips. Is it, it's like God just comes down and says, well, here's all my options. Yeah, here, pick this one. Now, when we paint rooms at our house and there's paint chips laid out and Cindy and I talk about which color we're going to paint, you know that that's her decision, right? Even though I'm, we're interacting, part of that interaction is like, I'm just looking at her eyes, trying to read what I'm supposed to say, because I don't really care what color it is anyway. So Sometimes we can take this promise and turn it into that. It's like, God, I got three options. Pick one, thank you, and I took it. You see, it's true that gaining wisdom from God begins with a simple prayer, but it's not that simple, is it? See, there's no... It's not magic in our words. We say the prayer and God is obligated to give this little ticket to us that has the answer. James even talks about like there could be doubt here, right? Doubt's part of this. And doubt isn't just I, I'm like, man, I don't know if you're really there. Doubt takes many forms. It can be, God, I, I know you're there, but I, I doubt whether that's the best decision. I, I, I sent you speaking to me. I've had advice, whatever. It's like, I don't know. Or like, I'm convinced even that it's the right answer, but then there's kind of the courage to follow through and actually apply it. Have you ever asked God for an answer of what he wants you to do, and then he's telling you something that wasn't your favorite on the list? Like you're thinking graduate school, um, water polo, across seas, or Tajikistan. Did I get that right? Okay. It's like, sometimes it can feel like that. So it's not just like, ask it and receive it. So today, what I want to talk about, and this is the substance of my talk today, is what, what else is buttressing this statement by James that makes this promise complete? So I'm going to give you five things today that will lead you toward making wise decisions, but they are also indicators that you are growing more wise. Number one, choose the kind of wisdom you want. Because there's a choice in that. Now, now I'm operating from this definition of wisdom. You might have another one. But mine is wisdom is making the best choice for you according to God. See, the kind of wisdom that I'm talking about is according to God. And according to God, what is the best choice? And according to God, what is the best choice for you or the person you're advising? Because what's wise for one person may not be wise for another. And just a little later, after James promises this wisdom, if we ask for it, he describes two different kinds of wisdom. 
In James 3, verse 14, he says, if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfless ambition in your hearts, don't brag about being wise. Don't even talk about that. That's the worst kind of lie. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and motivated by the devil. For wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. It is peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no partiality and is always sincere. James says we have two kinds of wisdom. Uh, in their source, there's one from God, and then there's one from, he says, the devil. And then there are different motives and outcomes for these wisdom, these kinds of wisdom. One kind of wisdom is motivated by jealousy and strife and bitterness, and yet the other is motivated by pureness and peace-loving and gentleness. And their outcomes are different as well. The peace that comes from heaven, James says, is yielding and merciful and good and just and sincere. You know, this is illustrated so starkly that the two side by side for me, I have a dear friend who is like top shelf in business. And um, he's been with large corporations, highly, highly successful, very smart, very uh, strategic, very good with people. He has the whole package. And he left the, the kind of public corporate world to go to this business that was owned by a family. And he tripled their numbers in his division. He, I mean, I just, I'll just go on and on. It's like his success was uh, indisputable. And yet there was uh, a dynamic going on that was uh, driven by nepotism in this company, and he had a family member who was constantly undermining them, him, and misconstruing things and spinning things and chipping in the CEO, which happens to be family. And you know, blood's thicker than the mud, right? It's a family affair. And um, he, he just continued to undermine my friend for the last four or five years. And in the end, my friend got clipped. In spite of his numbers being great, in spite of his whole division, their morale being the highest ever, it's like it's this wild success. And yet, he was clipped. And, what, and then he calls me, and we interact and email about, what do I do? And you know, at that level, you have a lot of options. And what I saw him wrestle with was like, what does God really want me to do? And it could be different. I'm not going to tell you what he did, but his, his outcome was entirely different. And so what I saw here was one kind of wisdom was used against him. And it was driven by bitterness and ambition and selfishness. And he responded with heavenly wisdom. And just a remarkable story. And he's in such a great place now as he pursues a new uh, place in business. But we have our choices of what kind we might want to have. The reason why I tell you that, how important that is, is because if you want to make the wisest choices according to God, you have to have that as a destination today. Because it's easy to lose your way. How many of you take 
those vacations where you just get in the car and you're like, I have no idea where I'm going to stay. We're just going to go. Raise your hand if you do that. Okay, a few of you. It sounds like a good idea when you first leave the house and then when you're trying to get a reservation when there's a big convention and like a national championship going on in the town you want to stop and it doesn't work out so good. But then uh, mountain biking, I'll do that sometimes. I'll get on my bike and I'll ride and I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. You know, I'm just going to ride the trails and take the turns that I want to. Those are great adventures in life. But that's a terrible way to make decisions. When we make life decisions, we begin with like an understanding that we want God's wisdom as our destination. So when you ask for wisdom, you need to specify which kind you want. In your notes, I've placed this statement. I've said it before. It's not mine originally. It comes from Andy Stanley, but it bears repeating. I'm also going to put it up on the screen. This is the best question ever when you have a decision to make. In light of my past experiences, my current situation, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? The reason why I love that question is it designates a destination from the beginning. It's like, I want to know what the wise thing is according to God. But it also takes into consideration the trajectory that you've been on. It's like, what, what was in my past experience? What's my situation now? And where do I want to end up? What I want to do in my decisions is line that up. Sometimes I consider that and I want to revise my plan. But it all goes back to having God's wisdom as my ultimate choice. Number two, another thing to buttress a simple prayer requesting wisdom is to submit your heart and will fully to Christ. You see, the choice to become a Christian is, doesn't automatically make you wise. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's just the beginning of wisdom. And Paul says that you can't have wisdom without having the, the Holy Spirit present as a Christian in your life, 1 Corinthians 2.14. But people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because, not, because only those who have the Spirit can understand what the Spirit means. Some people have taken that to like be the superstitious way of interpreting things, but really Paul's just saying... When, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have knowledge that you didn't have before the Holy Spirit was present in your life. It's one great reason to become a Christian. If you're wondering, hey, Britt, why should I become a Christian? Maybe because you want to be wise and you want to have all the information available to you that the Holy Spirit can give you. But if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit, that doesn't guarantee it either. Because a prayer that you said long ago in faith, may not be translating in your life to fully submitting your will and your heart to Christ today. But when we do so, we are following the wisest person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. Jesus said to follow me, and he epitomized wisdom. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus is wisdom from God. In Colossians 2.3, he said, In him, that is in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I'm following Christ. I'm attaching myself to following the way of wisdom. Can you imagine that uh, if you can picture Christ leading you in your life, in this decision you have coming up, in how you'll respond tomorrow in your workplace, in your home? Can you imagine, uh, like, 
kind of going down the trail a ways with Jesus, and then Jesus stops and goes, oh, I'm sorry, man. I led us down the wrong path. We, we went left. We should have. Can you imagine that? I can't picture that. It's ridiculous. When we submit our will and our heart to Christ, we are submitting ourselves. We are benefiting from that. And that we are following the person who has our best interests at heart and knows us and has created us. I've learned that when I choose like that, I have no regrets. And when I don't choose to submit my heart and will fully to Christ, I often have regrets. Number three, make wisdom a lifelong pursuit. You can buttress your simple prayer for wisdom by making wisdom a lifelong pursuit. Because uh, Proverbs pictures wisdom this way, like, it's, like she is calling for us to follow her, to, to give us her attention. Uh, Proverbs 1.20, wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. Proverbs 8.1, does not wisdom call out, does not understanding raise her voice? Wisdom heralds us to follow her. And that's important because maybe you, like, like I've noticed that common sense isn't all that common. Because we're all born without wisdom. Did you know that? I love, Tim Keller said, we are born as simpletons. He said it, not me, so don't be offended. When we're born, we know how to nurse, we know how to breathe, we know how to make noise, but we're not wise. From the very get-go, we are learning how to exist on this planet. There's a doctrine that's important in the Christian faith. It's called the doctrine of depravity. And basically it says that we don't, without God, we don't have a moral compass. But it's much bigger than our moral compass. Without God, we don't have his wisdom. We are born without wisdom. So we're going to have to get it from somewhere. And it comes from an intentional pursuit of becoming wise. Proverbs 4, 5, get wisdom. Get understanding. Proverbs 8.11, for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you can desire can compare with her. Pursue wisdom. When um, I became a Christian in high school and I, I was not raised in a Christian home. And there was something, man, you know, I'm not that smart, but I knew I needed wisdom. And so beginning in high school and throughout uh, college, I just read Proverbs along with anything else that I was reading. I always read Proverbs. Whatever the date was, I read that chapter in Proverbs. And then when I got to state college, I memorized a verse a day out of the chapter that I read for five days. And then on the weekend, I would review it, and I accumulated all these wise sayings. And I can tell you that often, those Proverbs were often a compass for me of how to decide as a young man. By accumulating that kind of wisdom, over time, we're, we're avoiding the crisis wisdom need. We're avoiding a lot of poor decisions that we're not conscious of that we're making. And we're building a, a skill set of making decisions wisely. Because making a wise choice is totally different than pursuing wisdom your entire life. Speaking of wisdom and learning it, number four, submit your mind and will to the scripture and place yourself under biblical teaching 
through a local church. I know that's a a long mouthful, but I want to put a lot into this. I want to talk about three aspects of what's up there on the screen. First of all, submitting our will and our mind to the Scripture. You know, you're not going to be wise if you choose against the Bible. That might be obvious to some, but it's not obvious in our choices sometimes. If, if we make a decision in, in, in the face of a prohibition in the Bible, you can't expect that to lead to wisdom. Let me give you a really practical example, and I'm not trying to, like, you know, get on someone's case here, but let me just say that this. It's like, it's very popular now to shack up, to live together before you're married. And I know that it makes perfect sense financially, Uh, It may make uh, physical sense. It might be convenient. But the one thing that you're going to have a problem with is it doesn't make biblical sense. So so we'll do this, and we'll expect God to bless that. We're thinking that we're smarter than the Bible then. So don't choose against the Bible. Secondly, fill your mind with Scripture. Again, you're building and accumulating a skill set, a a bunch of information that's important that's going to shape the way that you think. I love how Paul talks about this in Colossians 3.16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's like, just fill up. You know, some of us are existing off like the starvation diet of Scripture. Fill your mind and your heart with with Scripture. I, my family loves Knott's Berry Farm. We go almost every year around Christmas time. And um, you know what my favorite ride at Knott's Berry Farm is? Mrs. Knott's Fried Chicken Restaurant. <laughs> That's my favorite restaurant. I'll tell you why. Because with your chicken dinner, you get all the biscuits you can eat. And they bring this big tray out. They're, man, they're smoking hot. They're little squares, and so like before they even bring them, I start unpackaging all those little squares of butter. What's up with that? You know, like just bring me a big scoop of it. And I put a square of butter on each biscuit. I don't know why I can't lose weight, but, and I'll just eat those things. So by the time they bring my fried chicken, I'm not hungry, but it's still my favorite ride. I I don't skimp on the biscuits. I just go for it. What if... What if we were like that about Scripture? What if, like, I just gorged on the Bible, not nibbled? Come on! I'm talking generous portions here, folks. And that lifelong input of Scripture will build something in you, and it changes the way we think, and it it directs us toward making wise choices. Paul writes in, in Romans 12, too, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Filling your mind with Scripture over time will change and transform the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. You want to know what God wants you to do? Let God change the way you think through Scripture. And it's again, it's an accumulation of that. It isn't just like, I have a situation, where's my verse? Boom. It's like you're building something here over time. And it's just like anything else. You have experience in your career. I had experience as a, as a firefighter. 
It's like as a fire captain, it took me three or four years before I pretty much had seen almost everything. So that when I arrived on a scene, I could, all of this experience and knowledge and training and education, it just came to bear, and I could make decisions in an instant that were good. But that was based on experience. It wasn't something that I could just learn in a book and say, okay, today, now I'm, I'm a great fire captain. And you have the same thing in your career. You have, you have a building of knowledge over time. And that's why when you're at a company 10, 20, 30 years, you become, or supposed to become, more and more valuable because you have that knowledge. Being a Christian is the same way and filling our mind with Scripture. What's sad is we are living in a time where Bible knowledge is at an all-time low, and yet the Bible opportunities are at an all-time high. We have uh, apps like YouVersion, we have Daily Bread, you have podcasts and instant messages online, you, you, know, you have multiple versions of the Bible, and yet in America we are at an all-time low in Bible knowledge. So fill your mind with Scripture. And then the last thing I, I want to point out here, and this was, I added this specifically, is, is to submit yourself into, under biblical teaching through your local church. And I'm going to put on my pastor hat here for a second. So I want every one of you here to know that I love you, and I don't mean anybody ill will. But I feel compelled to point something out because somebody sent me a video recently of someone who claimed to be a prophet. And what this person said was that you should forget everything that you've ever been taught at your church. That your church is not real. That people there are fake. So forget all of that teaching that you've learned and just listen to the voice of Jesus. Now, I get listen to the voice of Jesus. I try to do that every day. But this idea of forgetting what, you're, what you've learned through the ministry of your church, first of all, let, let me just point out the irony of someone that would say that, who is saying, forget everything you've else, else you've learned, but listen to me. That's a problem. Number two, it rejects everything that Paul says about the church. This is not just bad advice. This is unbiblical advice, and it's anti-biblical. So I'm going to step into this space, and I want you just to listen to me as a shepherd who's concerned about that kind of teaching. There's little mention of Scripture in that video. And that to say, to ignore your, the teaching that goes on in a local church, is to ignore everything that Paul said, that we are the body of Christ, and every part of the body contributes to, to edifying the believers. That means everybody. We're all part of the local church, and we, we build one another up. But it also neglects what Paul said about the people who, to whom the church is given that are the leaders, the teaching pastors and evangelists. They are a gift to the church as well. So to, to, to like put that off in a box and say, don't listen to what you've learned over the years from your church, is really that it goes against the Bible, people, and against the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And I'm not trying to be self-serving here. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says and warn you. Um, churches are messed up. Pat, 
this pastor isn't perfect. I've never claimed to be perfect. But God has brought the local church, the bride of Christ, together. And the church is the hope of the world today. And to, like, to try to part yourself off from that, it may be easier on some days. It, it might be less conflict. It might let you pursue the, the very belief that you want to pursue. But like, we, we all contribute to one another. Paul, uh, there, there's a great um, explanation of this, I feel, in Acts 17.11. Luke records that the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. So I love, first of all, that this verse points out that some people are more eager to learn from those that teach. But then also notice that there's an accountability to that. They search the scriptures day after day to check up on Paul and Silas to see if they're really teaching the truth. That's the give and take that goes on in the local church where there's an accountable, a pastor who's accountable to an elder board, where the elder board is accountable to the church. We're all accountable to one another. That's what the local church provides that no individual can provide you. Not to mention the fact that God loves the church, the bride of Christ, he described it as. So does, we, can, we have to honor and love the local church in spite of all of our imperfections. End of sermon. That part, I'm almost done. Look, you'll never regret doing your own Bible study and listening to God's voice, but you, you have to do that in the context of what God is doing through his chosen vessel, the local church. Lastly, if you want to buttress the simple prayer of faith, learn from your mistakes and your trusted advisors. You know, the reason why I close with this is like, these are, these are the two things that can often be the hardest to listen to. One, my mistakes. We, we need to learn from our mistakes. I mean, at some point in your life, here hold my beer should turn into I'll never do that again, right? Because we want to learn from our mistakes. It, but if I'm a person who's making the same mistake over and over and over again, then those consequences, they're usually going to get more and more serious. Proverbs 3.11 says, Don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't be discouraged when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. That, that reference might be wrong. Somebody can help me out with that later. But the verse is right. God corrects us when we're his children. He, there's natural consequences built into the world. There's consequences that God brings specifically. So when I make a mistake, Someone once told me, own it, learn from it, move on. Now, most of us want to rush to move on. I made a mistake, I'm just moving on. No, you're not. You're just going to make it again. So own it. Learn from it. And then move on. See, when you let your temper rip, when you constantly put yourself into debt, when you don't listen to good advice, when you quit your job without another in line, and, and when you 
find yourself waking up on uh, Saturday morning regretting the things that you did Friday night and you, don't, and you keep repeating that, you're not learning from your mistakes and you're not going to become wise. Lastly, advisors. Listen to your advisors. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. You know, the bottom line is, like, if you're not an expert in the thing that you're wondering about, there's somebody who is. Why not ask them? That's what that verse is saying. Get advice. And if, you know, if you get that advice early on, you save yourself from crisis advice later. I, I made all these decisions, and now I, know, I need to know what to do. How about we ask, like, early on? That's the wise thing to do. Um, I have a, my youngest daughter and her husband, they recently bought a car. They were getting ready to buy the car, and I, I turned them on to, like, consumer reports, you know, the reliability report and everything. And then True Car, these are kind of my, my go-tos. And, you know, I'm giving dad advice. I don't know if they're going to listen or not. You know, they call me back. They geeked out on this stuff. So that they, my daughter called me and said, Dad, that those websites, they rock. It's like, we, and we bought this car. They made a great choice on a vehicle. They sought advice. And then recently, I sought advice. I try to get um, dinner with, or lunch with pastors here in the valley. And I can tell you, like, like it's about connecting, but I, so many of them have been pastors much longer than me. And I just really benefited from uh, having lunch one day with Ron Armstrong. I just want to give him a shout out because a uh, pastor of Cornerstone I've been a pastor five years. He's been a pastor like 30 plus, I think. And there's a lot to learn from those guys. And, you know, there were things that he said that were really kind and encouraging and inspiring to me. And then he also said some things that made me revise my plan. There were things that he said, you know, you need to, you need to think that through. You need to, like, consider this. And, you know, I changed some of the, the life goals that I had simply because of what he said. I'm so thankful for, for people like that in my life that have had advice from me that knew a lot more about what I was trying to decide than I did. So, if you're, if you're looking to make a decision, like, what do I do? When do I do it? How do I do it? You know, we have this promise that we can stand on. That that James told us, if we pray, God will give you wisdom. You can take that to the bank. But we also know that there are these other factors that buttress that. Don't you want to be wise? Don't you want your decisions to be the best decision for you according to God? You can have that. Not because I said it, but because God says you can. And you can take that to the bank. Let's pray.